Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us today again on the program. Uh, from me and my family and from the team at Lynn Hiles Ministries and the crew at, that you might have a life, we want to wish you a very happy new year and a season of grace and favor we want to declare over your life for the future in this season. We've been blessed so much to be able to come into your homes every week and to uh, be able to share with you the gospel. This marks for us, I think, the beginning of our, I believe it's our fifth year uh, on national television. We went on, our first year was in the year 2010, not on this network, but another network. And so we're coming into uh, our fifth year of broadcasting on national television. And we just want to say to you, thank you from the bottom of our heart for those of you who have supported, those of you who have been partners with us. If you'd like to become a partner with us, we sure could use your partnership as we reach around the globe with the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you are being blessed and you believe in us, please get behind us. I believe uh, the Lord will bless you for doing that. But we want to come to you more than anything and say to you, our, our heart for you is to wish you a very uh, happy new year. Uh, we've just come through the Christmas season and it is always the new year and it sparks, as it were, a new beginning. Uh, I, I want to come in, in, the, in the spirit of the season that we're in and, uh, and uh, connect some things that I think will bless you both seasonally and uh, that will kind of fit in the series that we've been teaching. We've been teaching from the book of Revelation, and uh, we took a, a break last week to jump out of that to do a Christmas program, and this week to do a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, New Year's program. But I think today's program will fit somewhat even in the paradigm of what we're sharing from the book of Revelation, because I want to start out in Isaiah, the ninth chapter, with this thought and say, uh, the, the, this is chapter 9, book of Isaiah, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, uh, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. We're going to jump over into Matthew chapter 4 in a few moments and see that this is a quote that Jesus makes when He comes on the scene. Uh, when He comes up out of the waters of baptism, having been tested and tried, uh, He comes out in the power of the Spirit declaring the gospel of the kingdom. And when He does, He uses and quotes this very uh, scripture when He talks about the people of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. I want you to remember that. And upon them hath the light shone. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They, jo they joy before thee according to the joy in the harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is confused with noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And this is the part I wanted to get to, because this is in the season of Christmas. But it's also very relevant, I believe, uh, even in the season we're living. For unto us a child is born. 
Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is the part I really want to emphasize today, and of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. I want you to note here that it doesn't say of the increase of his government and peace. It'll only last until about the year 2014 or 15, and then things are going to get real worse, and then, uh, you know, the Antichrist is going to come, and then uh, the devil's going to win. And like some of the stuff that's being preached in different places, you know, uh, 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 talking about doomed despair, I'm telling you what the Bible says about the kingdom. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever is the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now what I want you to see is that he is declaring in Isaiah what would happen during this time of the birth of Jesus. And we shared last week about Jesus came on the scene in the middle of great time of taxing and persecution during the middle of a captivity. It is not the best of circumstances when God chose to send his son. And if you remember what I said last week is that the moment they bring Jesus into the temple to dedicate him, that there was an old shuffling prophet by the name of Simeon, that when he lifts that child up and he begins to declare on him, over him, this one shall be for the rise and falling of many that are in Israel, that the Bible said, and coming in that instant, Anna. Uh, and Anna was an old woman that was waiting also on the constellation of Israel. And uh, the, her name, Anna's name means grace. And to me, that's a very powerful concept because coming in the instant that Jesus comes on the scene is the moment that Jesus comes on the scene, grace comes in that instant. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me that we have people, and I understand why they're refuting the message of grace because you've got a bunch of uh, 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 what I call armchair theologians that have a little bit of an understanding of grace and don't have a whole lot of balance or pieces of it. And they're declaring some things that muddy the waters of grace. But let me just say with clarity on this program especially, grace does not give people a license for sin. Even uh, the term that's used, hypergrace, because the scripture says where sin abounds, that's where grace will superabound. The word super, there's the Greek word hooper, where we get our English word hyper. So grace is not the cause of sin. Grace is the antidote for it. What better time or season to release on such a global level uh, the message of grace, like it's being preached through, and you know, I, I don't guess they'd get angry if I'd say, but that are being preached through men like uh, Creflo Daughter. They're being preached through men like uh, Joseph Prince, who are being preached uh, through others that are on television, us, and, and others that are on there. That it's, it's literally taken on a global expression. And while some may frustrate the grace of God and use it as an occasion to the flesh, the real work of grace in the heart of the believer will bring him out from underneath of law, but it'll bring him into the government of the kingdom. 
See, when Jesus comes on the scene and uh, it says that unto us a child is given, or unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and His name shall be called the Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, and uh, the government shall be upon His shoulders. And of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. So the increase of the government of God in our lives is not because God reinstitutes a uh, a, a government of law. As a matter of fact, the book of Corinthians says, for if the, and especially in the, uh, let me see if I can find it quickly. I wasn't planning on sharing that scripture. Uh, let me uh, see if I, but in, I believe it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe it is. And I want to read it to you uh, from the Message Bible. But it says, uh, it says, for if, watch this, for if the government of death, its constitution was chiseled on stone, tablets, had a dazzling inaugural. So in Corinthians 3, 7, the Message Bible calls the Old Covenant the government of death chiseled on stone. Note that it was chiseled on stone. So it was not just dealing with ceremonial. It was not just dealing with the uh, other aspects of the law. It was dealing with that which was chiseled on stone, which included the Ten Commandments. The government of death is what Paul calls it. Its constitution, chiseled in stone tablets, had a dazzling inaugural. Moses' face as he delivered the tablets was so bright that day that even though it would fade soon enough that the people of Israel could no more look right at him than to stare into the sun, how much more dazzling then the government of living spirit. So the government that's upon his shoulders is not the government of law with a constitution chiseled on stone, but it's a government of living spirit written on the heart of the believer by the Spirit of God. It goes on to say, if the government of condemnation was impressive, how about this government of affirmation? The Old Covenant was a government of condemnation, and the New Covenant is a government of affirmation. The Old Covenant had its constitution written on stone. The New Covenant is the, is, is the constitution, <coughs> the New Covenant, its constitution is the New Covenant, and it's written on the heart of the believer, and it is executed by grace through faith, while the Old Covenant was executed by works through sweat and labor. But uh, in the Old Covenant, it tells you what's wrong with you, and in the New Covenant, it tells you what's right with you. Uh, the kingdom of God was coming on the scene, and it was coming in such an incredible way that when this child was born, that God was announcing and releasing in the earth His King, and what was soon to follow would be the kingdom of God. It goes on to say that as bright as that old government was, it would look downright dull alongside this new one. It, it's, if that makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed throughout all eternity. This new government, see, one of the things I, I want you to see is that uh, the, the New Covenant and those of us who are preaching grace, at least this ministry, are not preaching lawlessness. What we're trying to tell you is that it's not 
uh, just freedom from the law. It's being gripped by grace. It's not just you don't, you're not under any kind of government. It's you've changed the government you're under. Uh, one was a government of condemnation. This one's a government of affirmation. This one will make a believer out of you. In other words, once you affirm and you constantly tell people who they are, they will come to a revelation of it and they'll embrace this new government and of the increase of that government and peace there will be no end. Uh, now, with that thought, let me take you into uh, Matthew, the fourth chapter, and compare some things with this, uh, with, with it. Matthew, the fourth chapter, and this is actually falling on the heels of Jesus coming up out of the waters of baptism, having just been uh, baptized by John the Baptist, and when he came up out of the water, guess what happens? He receives the affirmation of his father. His father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And all of a sudden, the affirmation of a father falls upon this son. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There's a lot of things I could say about uh, this wilderness journey, but suffice to say this, one of the things that the, the, the devil says to him is, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. I, I see a powerful prophetic picture here in symbolism is what he's trying to get Jesus to do is get his identity from the cold, hard rocks of the law. But if you remember, Jesus turns around when, when the devil says, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. It would look like a noble thing to just grab a, a rock and go, you see that rock devil? and turn it into, I mean, you would think that that would just be, well, you know, the power and demonstration of God. But see, if Jesus would have done that, it was because he was getting his identity from his performance rather than his identity from what his father just said to him. And when Jesus turns around and the devil says, if you be, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread, Jesus turns around and says, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now what you need to realize is that the word that just proceeded from the mouth of God was when Jesus came up out of the water, the last word God just said was, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. And immediately the devil says, if you be the son of God. I think Jesus probably turned around to the devil and said, evidently you didn't hear what my daddy just said about me. Because it is his affirmation, uh, this government of affirmation that's given me my identity so that I don't have to do anything <clears throat> especially to try to get my identity from cold, hard rocks of the law or by performance-based religion, I got my identity from whom my daddy says I am. And immediately Jesus comes up out of that wilderness, and when he does, uh, the devil leaves him. And then all of a sudden, uh, it says, when, when the devil left him, it says, let me just jump down into Matthew 4, verse 12. It says, now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison. He departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now remember, I just read to you from Isaiah how Jesus said to uh, Naphtali and to Ephraim, a great light's going to come. But here is the fulfillment. Here's this prophecy in the New Testament being shared almost verbatim. It says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by 
it says, which is Isaiah the prophet, saying, and this was in Isaiah 9, I just read it, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And, uh, and going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother in the ship, Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they, they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Jesus went about Galilee teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases, torments, and those which were possessed with devils, those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy. And he healed them, and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And Jesus immediately begins to say to them, the moment he comes up out of the waters of baptism with an identity that he got from his father. We, we have a classic message that we preach called the approval of a father will always empower a son. You can uh, go on our website and order that message or call the number on the screen if you want to. But it's a classic message. It's a message that's ordered a lot of times uh, from our ministry, one of our most requested messages. And Jesus comes up out of the waters having received his identity from his father. And as he comes up out of the wilderness, he begins to, this is his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, before you turn me off, especially if you know, followed us and you know we preach the grace of God, repentance is not a bad word and should not be even in grace camps. Repentance does not necessarily mean you need to get saved every time you turn around. But repentance simply means you need to change the way you think. And what Jesus began to preach is to change your mind. Repent. Repent about what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he began to preach the kingdom, and he began to declare the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as he began to preach the kingdom, he began to demonstrate healing and power and miracles and demonstration. Because once he came up out of the wilderness without any need to prove who he was, he came out in the power of the Spirit. Now, I believe as Jesus was preaching, repent, the kingdom is at hand, what he was saying is there's a new form of government on the scene. When, you, when he says repent, it's, see, repentance is not just what you turn from, it's what you turn towards. There's a lot of people who've turned from law but they simply turn from law and turn to lasciviousness. While there are some who have turned from law, but they've turned to grace. And, or, or their hearts have turned towards the Lord. Or uh, we, we've turned from the government of uh, rules on rocks to a government of living spirit. Are you understanding that as I read that to you, uh, one is a government of affirmation, one is a government of condemnation. So we've turned from the government of condemnation and the message of condemnation and what's wrong with you to the message of who you are, what's right with you, and see, after you believe that, you'll start to act like that. But when that repentance comes, I believe that there's a paradigm shift that's massive, that's really already on the scene. 
and the kingdom of God is being preached. I believe that the next step, listen, one of the main reasons we've been passionate about sharing even this series on eschatology or the study of last things that we've done over the last year. And if you've missed them, by the way, you can go back to YouTube and watch them on our YouTube channel. But one of the reasons we've been passionate about preaching this is because we need to understand uh, that the eschatology of grace even. Because what happens is if you don't understand that the kingdom replaced the law, you'll just preach a message of lawlessness and freedom. And it's like Paul said, I believe it is in Romans 6, you know, what, what some people are called so-called freedom. Uh, when he said, offer yourself to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. You become the servant of sin. So we've either been the servant, but see, I, I want to be the servant of grace. I want to be the uh, recipient of His empowerment, because law demands, but grace supplies. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. But what God supplies for you is He supplies a life. He doesn't supply a law you have to keep. He supplies a life that will keep you. Or he don't supply a law. I think I said that right. He, he doesn't supply, uh, he, in the new covenant, he doesn't supply a law you have to keep. He supplies a life that will keep you. And so this government uh, of, of the kingdom is, I believe, the next step uh, to, to the grace message. If you don't understand even some of the things that we've shared about last days and um, um, end of the world concepts, go back and watch that because if you don't, you're not going to be able to understand when you get into the writings of the apostles when they're talking about wrath, that they were talking about not wrath indefinite out through ages uh, you know, that are coming, but he was talking to a judgment and a wrath that was coming upon an apostate Israel because they refused to receive their Messiah and their redemption. It is amazing to me that the Jews missed the coming of Jesus when He came as a babe in a manger because He did not come in royal palaces. He did not come like they thought He would. I'm concerned that maybe we're missing the coming of the Lord again because we don't know what we're looking for and God is not obligated to fit our paradigm just like He did in the Israelites. We are not serving an absent Jesus. He is presently reigning, and He is reigning as King right now. And the kingdom of God came on the scene and continues to increase, for of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Probably some of you have watched us and said, well, I wonder what in the world, uh, how these guys believe this thing will end. Well, here's what we believe. We believe of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. We don't believe it has to get worse and worse. We believe it can get better and better, and especially if the church would wake up to their God-ordained uh, destiny of being promoters and exporters of the kingdom of God. Here's the tragedy. when There's a lot of folks that have preached the eschatology of the kingdom like we preach it, who have preached that the last days and the end of the world was not the end of a global situation, but was the end of that covenant. It was the end of that age of law. It was the end of the Mosaic system. That was the biblical last days. But with that group, have come different factions of those who believe things like, well, you know, since all that was fulfilled, then the gifts of the Spirit ceased, and uh, they're called cessationists, and they don't believe in the power gifts any longer. I, I don't believe God ever took the power tools back. As a matter of fact, I think one of the things that I would say to you, for those who believe that since the kingdom came on the scene, and since all of the old covenant passed away with that, that God only gave that to these early apostles, uh, the scripture in the book of Hebrews said that they tasted of the power of the age to come. And the power of the age to come was 
the power gifts. So if the age to come was the power gifts, they certainly didn't cease. Uh, and, and, you know, then they quote the famous 1 Corinthians 13, tongues will, you know, cease, prophecy will fail. But it also says knowledge will vanish away. But the context there, so if, if tongues cease and prophecies fail, then knowledge has to vanish away too. But what he's saying in the context of that is there's something more perfect and more greater than those, and that is love, because that's in the context of if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I don't have charity, then I've got tinkling, sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. So he's simply saying in the context of that, what's perfect is, is when it starts to flow from love. And what motivates us is the love of God. And so we don't believe those things cease. As a matter of fact, we, the problem is we've got those folks who uh, are in uh, some of the denominations and embrace some of that fulfilled eschatology like we've taught and believe that the kingdom came on the scene and it was the last days of the old covenant and they become cessationists. So they've got the kingdom, but they deny the power. And then we've had the other side of it where we've got the Pentecostals charismatic of which I'm a part of that camp. And uh, we've had the power, but didn't understand the kingdom. And so we've had either or and wonder why this thing has not really manifested its fullness. But I believe that we're coming, and I believe part of the destiny of this ministry is to bring together the kingdom and the power. And hallelujah, I believe with that will be manifest the glory because I believe that God said to Jesus, uh, or Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And then Jesus turns around and says, Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of nations. I believe we are called to change cultures. We are called to impact regions. We are called to take our cities. We are called to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters of the sea. We are called to see the kingdom of God expand and increase. It starts first of all in our personal individual lives. For the kingdom of God does not come with observation, Jesus said in Luke, I believe it is 17. In other words, it doesn't come, one translation said, through your careful observances. In other words, it's not coming through the observance of old covenant rituals. But the kingdom of God is within you. And if it's in you, then it becomes organic because it's like leaven. It's given until the whole thing is infected. The kingdom of God is on the increase. Uh, there are more people per capita today on the planet that are believers than ever, ever been before in human history. More people are being saved by the minute than there ever been in human history. Yes, there's some very real problems in the earth, but there's some really good things going on too. And of the, it's not my word, it's what God said, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. We're running out of time. If you'd like to be part of something that helps to take this kind of a gospel, around the world to see this whole thing leavened. We're called to impact regions. Please don't sit on the sideline and think somebody else is going to do it because they're not. We need your help if you believe in what we're saying. We need your partnership. We need you to call that number on the screen right now and become a partner. Become a monthly partner. If you can't do that, consider giving a one-time gift to help us to continue to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. Be part of something big and do that today. You can do it by calling the number on the screen or go to our website. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.